Today's episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me is sponsored by FilmCred. Providing new film critics and writers in-depth feedback on their writing, FilmCred is made up of a community of collaborators dedicated to publishing insightful reviews, interviews, video essays, and coverage of film festivals. Visit film-cred.com to learn more. I'm Minna Stein. And I'm Lauren Lloyd. And you are listening to the movies that made her, but not me. The podcast where we discuss classic films from different generational perspectives. The classic film we are discussing today is Ghostbusters. Let's set the scene. The movie is Ghostbusters, and the year is 1984. The first untethered spacewalk occurs. The Soviet Union boycotted the LA Olympics. Liechtenstein becomes the last country in the European Union to grant women the right to vote. And SNL cast members Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray star in the film Ghostbusters. Hickman! I saw it! I saw it! I saw it! It's right here, Ray. It's looking at me. He's an ugly little spud, isn't he? I think he can hear you, Ray. Don't move! It won't hurt you! To get into the private sector. What are they researching? Paranormal activity. Through their research, they happen upon a portal to another dimension and are tasked with the job of saving New York City from complete ghost takeover. The movie is Ghostbusters, and the year is 2016. The Summer Olympics were in Rio de Janeiro. Donald Trump was elected the 45th president of the United States. Brexit became worldwide conversation, and the 1984 Ghostbusters was rebooted with all women. Very funny. Is everything a joke to you guys? Just your mama. No, actually, I think the world of your mom. <laughs> okay, you guys put all that gooey stuff on the floor. You open the basement door. You try to freak me out. I did not open the basement door. Basement door is open. When ghosts start popping up all over the city, a team of four paranormal researchers trap the ghosts and follow the clues left around New York City to discover a network that releases ghosts loose in the city. These four women had to fight all the ghosts to save the city. So this episode, we decided to do two different movies that are the same movie in one episode. So we wanted to talk about Ghostbusters that came out in 1984 and Ghostbusters that came out in 2016. Because I will speak for myself, Ghostbusters that came out in 2016 was like a huge movie for me that definitely made me and impacted Mm -hmm. me significantly. So we thought it would be cool to do two generational movies that are telling the same story and and compare and contrast uh, how the same story was told for two different generations. So, Lauren, mm-hmm. tell me about the first time you saw Ghostbusters 1984. Well, 1984, I was in, had just arrived in Hollywood. I was there for about two years, you know, and I was very serious about what I wanted to do. So when I saw Ghostbusters, it was a big hit. and Everyone loved Bill Murray, you know, Dan Aykroyd, all, all of them, that whole group. Um, and I have to say that you know, that's not my kind of movie. Um, it's kind of a silly boys movie, um, but I appreciated many things about it. I appreciated um, how these actors felt so familiar with each other. I appreciated the kind of lighthearted silliness, and yet it was grounded in reality. I liked that. Um, I was surprised at how much they smoked, um, but I only noticed that the second time I saw it. Um, and it's... I didn't realize it then, but now that I see it as a grown-up, um, it's super sexist. Um, but i got to say, some of this stuff is terribly, terribly funny. I Well, I'll talk about the 2016 one. So oh. I saw the 2016 Ghostbusters when I was in high school. I was 16 years old. I saw it in the movie theater. I think what drew me to the 2016 Ghostbusters was, first of all, the women who were in it from SNL. I love Melissa McCarthy. I love Leslie Jones, so Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon. Like, I think that they're incredible comedians, so I wanted to see it for that reason. Mm-hmm. But also, when the trailer dropped um, for the new movie, it became uh, one of the most disliked trailers on YouTube. So there was all of this stuff that was happening surrounding the movie, and I think to me, I was like, I immediately recognized it as being sexist, right? Because like the first movie had such a cult following, and then this one that came out in 2016, everybody was hating on it and so I was like all right let's go see it let's see what it's about 
I took two of my friends. We went to go see the movie together. And then I saw it seven more times in the theater. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> You're welcome. In a row? No. I went with everybody. Like, any of my friends who were like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen it. I'd be like, you're going. We're going. I'm going with you. And we're watching it. And we're going to love it because it's amazing. And it's, like, the best movie of all time. I was obsessed with it. Why? Tell me everything I, about this. Well, first of all, a friend of mine once said that I have a tendency to chain smoke movies. So, like, if I like something, I watch it over and over and over again. Sure. So that I can memorize everything about it. It. Uh-huh. But this movie specifically, definitely one of the first movies that I ever chain smoked in the theater. <laughs> that is, um, speaking of chain smoking in the first Ghostbusters, um, yeah, I, I really, I just thought it was so funny. It was so funny. Just all of the jokes like really got me. I loved the women that were in it. I've never seen a a movie that was an action movie where it was just women. Like there was no testosterone really in it. Right. right, like usually, you know, it's all testosterone. Oh, you gotta fight the bad guys, but that this was not that at all. It was like, what if it was an action movie and it was all women, and it was like an action movie that was made for women? Mm-hmm. Definitely not the first movie that did that, but the first one that I saw that did that. There's a lot of action in that movie toward the, the end. Yes, you know, especially. And it's so good, and they like weave comedy really well into the story, and everybody's giving a great performance. Like I just. Absolutely fell in love with it. Well, let me go back to the performance for one second because I thought that, um, first of all, I like all those actresses. I love all of them. I think they're super talented all on their own. I thought Leslie Jones was the most grounded. And the, and I really started to like her and understand her. Kristen Wiig, always great. Melissa McCarthy, I believe, are doing everything, you know, cause, and she's so lovable. Um, Kate McKinnon, I thought, had a, had a different comedic style. I felt as if Hers wasn't grounded in reality at all. It was like, how weird can I be? And I think that she's a genius. And I think that she's going to become a huge actress, you know, dramatic, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt that it was so super uneven. I, I was a little... Really? Because mm-hmm. I liked that about it. I liked how she was like the crazy one. And instead of them all being crazy or them all being grounded, mm-hmm. it's just like, well, what if we just had one that was a little kooky? Kooky's fine. You know, but but kooky for kooky's sake. Just like it was, you know, you watch her, and I have to say she was kind of chewing the scenery a little bit. You watch her to be a scene that she's not in, but she's all doing crazy <laughs> shit back there, which you think is funny. I do. <laughs> I will also say that I thought Leslie Jones was the best of them who were in it. I mm-hmm. thought she was so good. I loved everything that she brought to the table in that role. I thought she was great. Well, I remember when Amy Pascal, who was um, president of Worldwide Production at Sony, Columbia, um, when she became an independent producer, you know, she's very good at her job and very well connected, and, you know, but when she became a producer, she had the access, let's say, to any movie she wanted to remake, and she chose Ghostbusters, and everybody was like, why, what, why? Because that's, it was such an original idea, you know, and it was so kind of outlandish, you know, when the big state puff thing comes out. Um, people just would, just couldn't understand why she would want to remake it. And she got a lot of shit for that. And I, and I, I left it after that. I don't really know what happened. And you're saying that all of the, a lot of the feedback online was all negative about this. Oh, all negative. So the movie is super solid and funny. Oh yeah, I thought so too. Like I, you know, I will stand with her and say the reason why the movie needs to be remade is because it was bad. <laughs> like that's my opinion is that it was not good. And so they remade it and they made it much better. <laughs> that's what she did. Well, she I made it great. Oh, well, I like the first one, even though I don't like this kind of movies. Um, but those are the movies that I was weirdly forced to grow up on, like Porky's and like you know what are the other ones? All this John John Belushi, mm-hmm. you know, Animal House. Mm-hmm. So I'm so used to seeing the two, three, four male all together doing their male things. So I thought some of this was funny because I think Bill Murray can be either creepy or funny. He was doing a little bit of both. A little bit of both. But at the end, I do kind of love him. Like, you know, I have to say also that the, just as far as the structure, I know I'm jumping all over the place, of Ghostbusters, it's set up so cleanly and so quickly. It's like, boom, it's scary, you know? And and then it goes, and you meet uh, Bill Murray immediately. He's kind of a sadist because he's flirting with that woman and he's electrifying that guy, you know? And you see A college person. student. Exactly. <laughs> it's all wrong. Not a woman. <laughs> a college student. Well, the woman. Yeah, but it's like his his student, right? And you don't know how old she is. No, it's everything about us inappropriate, and you get who he is. You're like, boom, okay. 
He's a creep. Yeah. That's where we're starting. Okay. Opening scene of the movie, your main yeah. character is a creep. And gum pops out of his mouth. It's kind of funny. <laughs> um, super sexist with like, are you schizophrenic? You know, uh, are you menstruating? You know, all that yes, stuff. Yes, I wish that's first, Honestly. But all the sexism in the first movie made the second movie so interesting because I remember yeah. when I left the theater, the first time I ever saw Ghostbusters 2016, something that I thought about immediately was, I've never seen a woman sexually harass a man in a movie before. Very I've true. never seen Very that. Well. What did you think about that? Well, okay, obviously... No one should be sexually harassing anyone, period. That's yeah, not yeah, what we should be doing yeah. in movies. But I do think it was very much on purpose because there is a lot of sexual harassment going on in the first Ghostbusters movie with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, especially with Bill Murray, like, following Sigourney Weaver around and trying to pressure her into going out with him. And, like, you know, there's justice for him at the end because they get together. But it is very uncomfortable to go back and watch and be like, oh, that's... It, uh, it is, and then leave, him, leave her alone. When you f- gender swap it, it becomes so much more obvious, right? I feel like if that had happened and they had just remade Ghostbusters and it was four men and a woman as their secretary, I don't think it would have been as obvious mm-hmm. that their secretary was being sexually harassed. I think that they did it on purpose so that you could see it because it is so ridiculous almost that a woman would be sexually harassing a man that you are immediately drawn attention to it. You're mm-hmm. like, what's, oh, she, she shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. First of all, we never see that. Second of all, you yeah. shouldn't be doing it in general. So it's like, it becomes very obvious. And I think that that's why they did it. Mm-hmm. And also to shed light on how this happened in the first movie and you didn't notice it. But mm-hmm. now that we've switched it around, you, you see it so mm-hmm. obviously and you should have seen it the first time too. Kevin. Oh, <laughs> That's a manly name. My name's Aaron, with an E, for everything you want. <laughs> okay. Well, we should probably should probably get started. Aaron, do you want to join us? Yes. Aaron, I've got some questions. Hey, here we go. Let me just get to my notes. Um, okay. All right, first off, I just want to say... You know, we should probably start with a very important question that we're asking all of the applicants. Um, You know, are you seeing uh, anyone right now? Um, Seeing anyone? Yeah, just for business purposes. Business purposes only. I'm seeing all three of you (laughs) in front of me. (laughs) Just forget she even asked, because if she did, that would be illegal. So... You know what, to me, is kind of interesting is that Bill Murray's like always played as like a, an idiot but a groovy guy do you know what I mean yeah and um and and so and the, um Kristen Wiig also that name sounded funny <laughs> she um is kind of harassing Chris Hemsworth mm-hmm. who is beautiful and very good in the movie um but she seems a little pathetic now yeah. is that just me being sexist and stereotyped that the guy who's like you know sexually harassing the woman seems like the cool guy and the woman who's sexually harassing the boy seems like a sad. I think that's because they switched it around, right? Okay. Like, I think that... Kristen Wiig is awesome. She could be yeah. with anyone. And so when she plays that kind of character, I'm all like, come on. Yeah, I just think it's because they switched the, the genders around and we're so not used to seeing it like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it seems like the gender roles are still there, but it's like, it feels uncomfortable. Like, there's dissonance because you're yeah. like, oh, the woman is sexually harassing the man, but, like, he's the one who has the more power like in gender norms but then she's the one who's she's his boss she's his boss right so it just kind of goes against what you expect mm-hmm. and that draws attention to it I, and I remember being 16 and going to go see it in the theater and immediately being like oh what's going on here right it was very mm, it was very curious. shocking yeah. and it was super funny when you know Christian Wiig says oh he's so beautiful and Melissa McCarthy's like what what yeah no <laughs> You know, it's just so because he's so shockingly beautiful. Yeah, and he was quite good. It's very light, very light touch with his comedy. And he was, it was so unlike any other role that I'd seen from him yeah, before at that point. Right, he was it? Thor. He, you know, he always plays like these big characters. And I know that there's comedy in that too. But this was like you're gonna play the dumbest idiot you could imagine. Yeah, and do that, and he does it so well. Like it doesn't <laughs> seem crazy. And the Mike Hat thing was great. Yeah, I mean, that's like the best joke I've ever heard. 
There's nothing funnier than my I cat. Totally agree. It's so funny. Would it be okay if I bring my cat to work sometimes? Uh, he has major anxiety problems. You know what? I, I would love to let your cat live here with you, but I have a pretty severe cat allergy. Oh, I don't have a cat. He's a dog. His name's my cat. Your, your dog's name is my cat? And Mike Hat. Your dog's name is Mike, last name Hat. Well, his full name is Michael Hat. I can't say that I'm allergic to dogs, so... Yeah, that's all right. He lives with my mom. Melissa McCarthy also kind of draws attention to the sexual harassment that's going on in an interesting way because, you know, uh, Kristen Wiig asks Chris Hemsworth if he's seeing anyone. And she's like, you know, we're asking everyone this. Like, are you seeing anyone? And he says, well, I'm seeing all four of you right now. Like, the harassment goes over his head completely. And Melissa Which McCarthy, is great. So great. And he doesn't respond to the harassment like, no. oh, you like me. That's it. So that hand, that's... Well done. Well, then Melissa McCarthy says, like, pretend she didn't even ask, because if she did, it would be illegal. <laughs> so it didn't happen. And then she, Kristen Wiig says something else later, and Melissa McCarthy is like, you're just a walking lawsuit. Like, calm down. Pull it okay. together. And then that's when they have the conversation where Kristen Wiig's like, well, you don't find him attractive? And Melissa McCarthy's like, Kevin? <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, my God. There were some great physical comedy with Melissa McCarthy that when she was like being wasn't she shooting like in, oh like, yeah like bouncing all off all the walls I thought that was um very 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 funny it was nice to see how they used the CGI mm -hmm. to enhance things that happened in the first movie oh because okay. there was so many great practical effects in the first movie which when I watched it I was like oh man I miss practical effects like mm -hmm. that was that was nice. Like, those hands coming out of the chair and everything. I was mm -hmm. like, that looks good. I enjoy that. Mm -hmm. But then in this movie, I think that they did such a great... Sorry, in the 2016 one, they did such a great job using CGI. You know, even though there weren't any practical effects, like, you got moments where the same technology that they were using in the first one is the technology that they used in 2016, which I thought was a really nice homage to the first movie. Mm -hmm. And they were able to, like elevate the technology by sure. like swinging Melissa McCarthy around and all that kind of stuff which you didn't get to see in the yeah. first one so I did I, I, I have to say that I did kind of appreciate two things about the movie was the roughness of the of the effects like those with the dogs are, are yeah they're like claymation dogs almost you know they look so right. clumsy and so and I appreciated that and I and I also but I also appreciated the kind of um what would you say there was a certain attitude and energy to the first one to the second one didn't have to me. What do you mean? What kind of energy? Um, I don't know how to say more real and yet more playful. They weren't playing for jokes as much as I felt like the second one was. I didn't feel like there were jokes in the first one. Oh, you are something. Okay, let me go back and try to find some of those jokes for you. All right? The only joke, the only time I laughed, and I used laughed very loosely, it was like a, oh, that was funny, was when um, they say... And I feel like it's a pretty famous line. I knew it was coming. Was when he says, "If somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes." yes. <laughs> that was funny. But other than that, I didn't laugh at all. And I was like, "Oh, maybe the jokes just didn't age very well." I'm not sure, but none of them really hit me. I couldn't even identify them. I feel like the jokes. Yeah. Are you a god? Then... Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes! I thought Rick Moranis was kind of funny and, okay. you know, and who he was. My opinions, no hate to Rick Moranis. I love you, Rick Moranis. Please call me. <laughs> you're amazing in this movie. It's everything else that I did not like. I loved him. And it's honestly not even that I didn't like the movie. It just didn't hit me. I don't know. Like, I felt like there was so much 80s nostalgia, and that's where it, it worked. Well, when I saw it at your age, I didn't love it either. But, I mean, yeah. it was such a huge hit. You know, I, and I said, you know what I thought? I'm, like, there to take, make movies. So I thought, I'm never going to make it in this business because I don't really even understand these movies. I understand comedic actors working together and being really funny physically and all that stuff mm -hmm. but I'm like I could never develop one of these uh, stay puff guy who would have thought of that um, so yeah it well, kind of bummed me out the movie was very ambitious yes for 1984 as far as the practical effects went mm -hmm. there were a lot of issues trying to get those things to work which I think led to it being really clunky 
like with the dogs, it was so obvious that it was a practical effect. And they weren't even trying to hide it. And I think most of that was like that they had to like crank out the practical effects to get them in the movie on the timeline of when the movie had to come out. Um, but then the other thing is, you know, if it was any other movie, I don't think that it would have worked. Like even in 1984, they would have been laughing at the practical effects. Mm-hmm. But I think because the actors were so into the movie that they were making and they were doing such a great job and it was such a creative and new idea that the campiness of it just added to the cult's following and like the oh yeah they're making a movie that's just for us and it's not for you know everybody else like the, the masses of people it's just for people who understand what they were trying to do mm-hmm. i think maybe it's like with the snl actors being in it too it just feels the whole thing felt very counterculture to me mm-hmm. and when i watched it i was like oh yeah this is what movies in the 80s were like very cool yeah i well, felt yeah. the 80s nostalgia it, yeah 80s they were cool Reborn then? No. Oh, I wasn't on, born man. in 2000. I wasn't born until 2000. Oh, my God. <laughs> better just end this show right now. Um, it is kind of a cool thing. Like, when you're making the movie, you think, like, okay, that's a big hit. It's a funny idea. It hasn't been made in, what, 25 years or whatever. And let's get all the SNL people again. So the concept was... You know, you just wouldn't think they'd be so angry. I just thought... the ladies do. Oh, yeah. Well, I really appreciated that they used SNL people in the movie. Um, You know, even not just the main characters, like Cicely Strong was in it. Like, they had other SNL people in the movie. I really liked that. I thought they did a great job paying homage to the movie that came out in the 80s. There were um, lines that were the same. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver says, like, if I knew what it was that was in my refrigerator, why would I be calling you? Exactly. And then Leslie Jones set calls uh, the thing that she saw like a thingamajig. And uh, Kate McKinnon says, well, what was it? And she goes, if I knew what it was, why would I be calling it a thingamajig? So I thought that was nice. And then also um, the both secretaries in both movies say, Ghostbusters, what do you want? And so I thought that was nice, too. Like, I really enjoyed that they had, um, they had very, like, tasteful and respectful homages in the 2016 one, Mm -hmm. which made me so even more upset when people hated on the film because they were like, oh, how dare you remake this movie? That's so amazing. And you're like, well, movies get remade sometimes and they're being so respectful and, like, all of the people who are in the first movie are in this movie Clearly, they sign off on it. Like, can you guys calm they were down? Support all of them. Bill Murray would have right, exactly. Character. Yeah. So I think I mean when the movie came out, there was backlash on Twitter predominantly when they announced that there was the movie. Um, people actually got kicked off of Twitter because of things that they were saying about the movie, specifically racist and sexist attacks towards Leslie Jones. Um, they were accusing really? the people Yeah, they were accusing the people who made the movie of being social justice warriors and that their movie, Ghostbusters, was going to start a culture war. Yeah, there was also an effort to lower the rating of the film on their IMDB page before the movie even came out, and it became the most disliked film trailer on YouTube. I don't remember the trailer. The tra- I mean, it was just a movie trailer. I don't know. I don't remember if I saw it, but I remember people saying like, oh yeah, this movie's going to suck because it's just a terrible remake. And then you actually watch the movie and you're like, this is great. I've seen so many articles come out recently where people are like, oh, we did not give this movie enough credit. We I should re- say, revisit it. I, you know what? I'm one of those people. Because when it came out, you know, I went to some screening of it or whatever and I saw some of it, but I, I was just like, ugh, like I... I couldn't connect to the first one, really. Mm-hmm. The second one just felt like kind of a rehash or left, but I saw it yesterday. And it's a very good movie. I know Kristen Wiig and uh, uh, Paul Feig, right, the director of the movie? Yeah. They kind of had a conversation in an interview about how because there was so much, so much discourse around the movie about the controversy that it really cut into people's enjoyment of the movie. Like, people weren't talking about the movie being good. They were talking about the movie being controversial and kicking people off of Twitter and, you know, being the most disliked trailer on YouTube instead of the movie actually being a good movie with great actors who are doing a good job. Um, And uh, the backlash has had a lasting influence on the movie. The Ghostbusters franchise recently released a box set of all the movies in the mm-hmm. series, and mm-hmm. 2016 was excluded uh, from the box crazy. set. 
And I know Paul Feig went on a Twitter rant and was like, this is sexist. You're not doing this for any other reason than sexism. It is part of the franchise. Why else would you not include it? The Afterlife, Ghostbusters Afterlife, which came out... That's Paul Rudd. Yes, that came out last year, right? Um, That movie, I felt like, instead of trying to do a new thing that paid homage to the first movie, which I felt like Ghostbusters with women tried to do, they just were like, what if we played right into the 80s nostalgia and we just gave people exactly what they saw the first time and like just placated all the Ghostbusters fans. And put kids in it? Right, exactly. And just give them exactly what they want. Um, the, The premise of that movie is that Harold Ramis, his granddaughter, becomes a Ghostbuster. And everybody in the movie is great. Like, it's a good movie. I went to go see it. I thought it was very fun. I'm very invested in the Ghostbusters franchise now because of how much I loved the 2016 one and and you have the socks. You've got the Ghostbusters exactly. socks. Exactly. I have Ghostbusters socks. Yeah. You know, I just, um, I'm very interested in how they're planning to expand the Ghostbusters universe because I feel like everybody's trying to find their Marvel universe and Columbia Pictures mm-hmm. is like, well, we've got Ghostbusters. Let's, Let's see what we can do with that. So right. They're like, what if we do with women? Okay, that didn't work. What if we do with kids? Like, let's try that. Let's see if that works. All right, that works. Let's do another one. Yeah. Yeah. So I am very interested in their attempts to make a Marvel Universe with Ghostbusters because you're kind of like, oh, what? So you made two movies that were very good cult classics. Then you made one that was a huge disaster and yet you continue to keep making them and try to be successful with it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but then they release the box set and they don't put the 2016 one in it. So I'm not really sure what their well, thought process is. The, then there's just the book. What's the box set then? <laughs> it's the first two, and then the afterlife. Yeah, so what did you think about the actors from the first one being in the second one? I thought Bill Murray played a substantial role. It seemed like Dan Aykroyd was a little embarrassed. Then he played like a cab rock. Yeah. He was like, ah, 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 ah. And he drove off. See, I have the opposite reaction. I personally, and this just might be personal preference, I like cameos where they're not in it for very long and you're like not expecting them and they just show up and they're out. Yeah. So that's why I liked everybody who was in it besides Bill Murray. Like Bill Murray was a character in the movie. He wasn't doing a cameo. Mm -hmm. I think I would have preferred it if he had done a cameo. Plus I thought his character was kind of ridiculous except for the fact that he was playing the like guy who was trying to get rid of the Ghostbusters from yeah. the first movie. Now he was playing that character. Yeah, right. the yeah, yeah. So now he was playing the guy who was like being mm-hmm. suspicious of the Ghostbusters. I thought that was kind of cute, but I wish that the role had been smaller. Yeah, and Annie Potts played the... What was, she, what was her role? She played the concierge at the hotel. Okay. And then Sigourney Weaver is in a um, in the cut scene. End. Yeah. And there's a, there's a scene at the very, very, very end, which makes it seem like there was going to be some sort of a sequel. Well, I think there was supposed to be a sequel, um, and then it was such a disaster, they were like, well, that's over. That's but so my weird. impression is that Columbia Pictures was like, this is our Marvel Universe, and we will make millions of Ghostbusters movies, which obviously didn't happen. But yeah, like I thought all the other cameos, like even Dan Aykroyd saying, like, I don't go uptown, and I am afraid of no ghost, whatever. Like, that was cute. Yeah. Uh, um, I thought... Ernie Hudson playing Leslie Jones' uncle was also very cute. Very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was, I don't know, I just thought it was great. Like, I watched Ghostbusters 2016, and I'm like, oh, this is how you make that story, which was very good, interesting, and fun. I, I just made it. I thought it was funny. I like the um, the image of the, the ghosts that were in, in the second one that were in those ghost uh, capturing mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, the mirrors, mirrors yeah. sort of ghosts in and them. the hands, and they're yeah. describing what who's in there, what kind of souls, and then they say, and mostly dudes, which <laughs> I thought was really funny. Uh, mostly dudes, yeah. Um, well, I love the projectile vomiting um, scene with Melissa. I always like a good projectile vomit. Scene. Always so mm-hmm. good. I thought that the stunts actually looked really good, as if the actors were really doing those stunts. Yeah. And I thought it was really funny when uh, Kristen Week says to Andy Garcia, don't become like the Jaws mayor. That was so funny. So funny. Like the ghost, that doesn't upset him. But being compared to the mayor from Jaws, exactly. that oh, he's upset about. I also love the idea, and I'm sure this is why guys like the first Ghostbusters. Like, you're hanging out with your bros and you live in a little place, you know. 
in the fire department. Right. The idea of the second one of these women, they're like living together and they're working together and they're doing something. I just love Well, that love was that. one of my complaints that I wish that they had done in the second movie was put them in the firehouse sooner. Yeah. I was like, why do they have to be in this little tiny the place? Chinese, yeah. I guess so that they can do the, the guy delivering the Chinese food joke, but like, yeah, I wanted funny, to see you, them. Yeah. It was funny, but I would have preferred to see them in that house because I will say watching the first one, I was like, I would love... To live and work in a fire station. No kidding. It was just so cool. Yeah. So I wish that they had done that in second one because I really enjoyed watching them hang out. And I felt like I was hanging out with them, right? And they're like dancing and they're hanging out and they're like telling jokes and they're all friends. And I was like, oh, I want to hang out with them. Exactly. Me too. I have some some questions. What are they? So my first one is about just kind of like in comparing the movies and contrasting them. Something that I found really interesting when I was watching uh, the 1984 one, because I had seen the 2016 Ghostbusters so many times, that one was way more... I knew the story of that one way better than I did the one of 1984. So when I watched that movie, I was thinking like, how is this movie different? How is the story actually different than the one mm-hmm. in 2016? Like, what are the differences? And one of the big differences that I noticed is the Ghostbusters in the 1984 movie are heroes from the beginning. Like, every, like there's commercials of them on TV. Right. Nobody says that they don't know what they're talking about. Like, they are heroes. People call the Ghostbusters and are like, save us. The government obviously is like, hey, what are you doing? Like, you can't be housing these ghosts. But they're not even saying, like, what you're doing is wrong or not true. They're just saying, like, you can't. EPAs, exactly. Yeah. They're just saying this is bad for the environment. I thought that was so interesting because in 20, the 2016 one, no one believes the Ghostbusters. No one thinks what they're doing is true they bully them online they don't even get to be heroes at the end of the movie right because the first ghostbusters ends with everybody cheering them and like yeah chanting ghostbusters and the end of the first movie is the the mayor telling the ghostbusters we're not going to tell anybody that you guys did this we're going to make you look like crazy people so that nobody gets scared we don't want mass chaos so we're just going to tell everyone you guys are crazy and we're going to fake arrest you yeah yeah yeah. and there's like no justice for them at the end yeah that's true they they get to keep working which is great let me go because i I can't remember so in the first one what is the what are the obstacles they have to overcome then the the guys from society none any any obstacles so i mean the obstacles are like did equipment work and we but there isn't really anything there's so what what are their obstacles? I'm trying their to Their obstacles it. are catching the ghosts, right? And mm-hmm. Bill Murray trying to get with Sigourney Weaver. Right. But there are no there's no pushback. But mm-hmm. in the 2016 mm-hmm. one, I had never noticed this before because I had never compared it to the first Ghostbusters movie. I think there was a very deliberate choice to make it their success story much harder and not really complete ever. At the end, the city lights up and says like we love you Ghostbusters. But, like, in the eyes of everybody, nobody knows who the Ghostbusters are, like, right? Like, nobody in the city knows that it's them, whereas, like, the Ghostbusters in the first movie are celebrities. So I just thought that was a really interesting choice that they made, you know, a difference from the first movie, right? Like, they did the sexual harassment to point out how what they were doing in the first movie was wrong, but then they also made the Ghostbusters in the second movie unsuccessful in the eyes of the people living in New York City to show how... You know, they're women, so it's different. Yeah. It could be, this is just, you know, another point to consider, that the difference between developing a story in the 80s and, you know, 80-whatever for in 2016 are different. You know what I mean? Like, there's so much more development um, as far as, like, you know, you have to lay pipe. Who are these people? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What are their obstacles? How do they... Because that's why I was saying, actually, and you're bringing it up. And the first one, it's so clean. Boom. They got this problem. These guys get fired. They're together. They've been working on this stuff. Boom. They're in there. This was much more, you know, kind of meandering and obstacles they have to overcome. So it might be... I, I see it as like an anti-female thing. Mm-hmm. But it could just be like, no, they need more obstacles. Right. We have to really feel them. So it might just be the way movies, the difference in how movies were made then and now. Because now we're just like, if you're not on board with catching ghosts, like in the first five minutes, do you know what I mean? You don't, you don't stand a chance. You know? So you don't want to yeah. do a long song and dance to get into the movie. Right. And we talked about this a little bit, but like 
male leads versus female leads and how it's just inherently different, especially in an action movie. Action's not really my favorite genre, so it's not really something that I've ever spent any time with. Um, you know, actually like studying it and looking at it and being like, how is it different when women are at the front of an action movie? So this was really my sitting down and watching these two movies back to back was my first time ever yeah, being like, they're action movies. right. And it's the same story, same action, they're but action. one with women and one with men. So it was really interesting to see like, well, how is the action different mm-hmm. when you have men in it versus when you have women in it? And I'd say the biggest difference that I saw was just like, you know, when there's action in the first Ghostbusters, it is like it's such a boys mm-hmm. game doing mm-hmm. the action and just mm-hmm. having it so testosterone driven. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, when you have women do it, it's less of that and more of like, we've got to get the job done. Let's just let's get it done. This is what we have to do. We have to get it done. Right. That's what all of their jokes are about when they're doing the action. It's like, oh, I can't believe you would kill a pilgrim or whatever. Like it's about it's about getting the job done, whereas about the boys is about Having a blast while we're doing this silly shit. Exactly, yeah. Very good point. So, I guess, you know, we, on our, like, mini-episode, we talked about G.I. Jane, and I was wondering if you had any insight into, like, adapting an action movie for a woman, and, like, how, what the, sorry, go ahead. It was very challenging, and I'll tell you why it was challenging, because you have to undercut just women in action, okay? You have to um, have it all character-based, you know what I mean? It can't just be, because, like, you understand when men break out and fight something. That's like a male thing. Women aren't always like that. So you have to have all of the action stuff really rooted into character, you know? Mm-hmm. And you have to make it all believable. All of the stuff that she did was pretty believable. We had to really work hard to figure out what makes sense, what could she do. Yeah, so that it is a whole... It's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how is... So you're saying like the actual action that you have the women do is different than the action you would have men do? What drives the, right. the woman into action? Mm-hmm. That's really Okay, that's the difference. Yeah. So it, how is the marketing different? Because obviously there was huge backlash to this movie, and I think a lot of it is adapting a male-led action movie. Now with women, those men who loved that movie don't want to see women do that yeah. same action. And so I think that was a huge pitfall of the marketing of this movie, mm-hmm. you know, obviously they can't change what it's about, but I'm just wondering like, how do you market women in action to young men who want to see action movies? Like how is the marketing different? <laughs> uh, well, you know, again, when I got in there, it, basically what I was in there, meaning when I started in the movie business, mm-hmm. it was basically like, well, women don't count at all. You just have to make sure that the guy has a woman so they don't think he's gay. All right. And that's literally because she doesn't have to do anything else except stand by him. Smart, smart. (laughs) Um, And so there was nothing like, um, you know, action or... Basically, they said, boys, men, they don't want to see women do anything, you know? And then it became through animation that it really pulled ahead. So I was at the time in the movie making where they were just starting to allow women to do something besides just be the girlfriend, Mm -hmm. you know? And so how do you market that action stuff? You have to make the action look super cool and very sexy. And the woman has to be very sexy. And it has to also be that she's tough, but a guy could handle her. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of things that are like, well, you're sexy and tough, but you're a little too tough. Men aren't going to like it. So it's that's why there were some people that were like Michelle Rodriguez when she came up you know, with Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, lesbian, a lot of actresses that are gay were able to make that leap. Mm-hmm. you know because women would like them and men would go like yeah okay yeah well that's something that's interesting about the Ghostbusters in 2016 then and I don't want to say a pitfall because I'm with them 100% but I'm just you know what you're saying kind of makes me think about how they kept the costumes the same from the first movie to the second one they didn't change the jumpsuits like right. the women are all covered up I would not describe the way that they're dressed exactly. sexy at all exactly that wouldn't work then you know what I mean but I'm just talking about from the years like when did I start in the business 81 until now that's a lot of years um, that was the you know the trans the transition mm-hmm. but yeah no I mean look how Sigourney Weaver was dressed like what happened she was like a crazy vamped woman and then she was yeah. big and bowie or yeah. something and then she was a dog. Well, there was a lot of sexualization of Sigourney Weaver yeah. when she she became hypersexualized once she became um, possessed by a demon, mm-hmm. and there was none of that in yeah, not even with Chris Hemsworth. Like they didn't yeah sexualize anybody. Yeah, it's also Amy Pascal would never have let that happen. Mm-hmm. It's just you know she's 
pretty staunch pro woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a good movie maker. I thought I thought it was fabulous. <laughs> yeah. This episode of The Movies That Made Her, But Not Me, is sponsored by ScreenSpec, where you can read reviews and features on the latest film and television releases and support underrepresented writers in the process. Visit ScreenSpec.com to stay up to date on what movies and shows you should be keeping up with. Um, Okay, so I guess then another thing is to talk about fan entitlement. I don't know if you've ever made a... um a reboot or a remake or a sequel or anything, but how does fan entitlement weigh in the equation? Because here, fans felt entitled to be given exactly what they wanted, which was to not have a remake, so there was a problem there. Mm -hmm. But I think that this movie was like, we don't care what the fans want, we're just going to remake this movie for a different audience. Yes, I believe that. And fans were very upset and that led to hate online. That impacted how the movie was received. So how does fan entitlement play into a movie create on the creative side being made? Well, I think that they were stunned that all of that, you know, came forth. But you can never underestimate how much women are disliked, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a huge title for them. So they, you know they're going to utilize it. Um, I, I, the one thing, just to go back to the first... Ghostbusters is that it was also Bill Murray, Ackroyd. It was the they were the heart of you know mm-hmm. SNL, um, and so I think that's another reason. But um, I started knowing. Are you saying um, how does how does fan response um, help shape what's made? Yeah, because I think like you know when you're trying to remake something that's so beloved to me. It feels like you would first go, okay, well, this is what the fans liked about the first movie, so how can we give them what they want in the second movie so that they'll right. like what we make? It seems like when they made this movie, they were like, we don't care, which I think, baller. And it worked for me, who didn't like the first one, so well, they great job. But... Plot-wise, they followed, they, they followed a, a lot of stuff. The, the throwaway lines and the characters were slightly mm-hmm. different. Yeah. yeah. But where I really noticed the whole, like, um, control or influence that fans have, it really hit me um, when, you know, of course, everyone started going online, but mostly with uh, series. Because movies, you know, they come out and we're done. You're like, oh, shit, they didn't like it? Oh, nuts. I'd only known. But I remember, um, like, Marlene King's a good friend of mine, and she did, like, you know, all those... uh, Pretty Little Liars and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And I remember thinking that, that the episode comes out, everybody watches it, and they are texting back, and they're texting so she can see what the response is. You know what I mean? And I realized that what was the... It was some episode where somebody got killed, and they were so angry at the showrunner or the creator mm-hmm. that they... You know, and so that really has something to do with shaping how a series goes. Yeah. You know? Or when people get very agitated about something, then you're like, yeah. That's good. We're going to stream yeah. that along, you know. But um, more so than um, more so than in movies. But yes, but fans, they have a lot to say, mostly mm-hmm. in series and stuff like that. Okay. Well, you know what? Hang on for one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Gail Levin, dear friend, used to be head of casting at Paramount. I think she was casting um, oh, Astro Boy something. Uh, that's not it. Something that was a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. And it got out in the out in the you know zeitgeist that yeah. was being made, and it was extremely popular. And she got so many emails and information and letters, people saying, "This is the person you need to cast for this." They were very certain about who they mm-hmm. saw when they were reading the you know the graphic novel, and and so yes, there are some people that fans that come across right. and they're like, "You can't do it. You have to do it like this." Yeah, I just think that this Ghostbusters reboot. Since they were making it for a different audience, they didn't care what the fans wanted, really. I mean, I know that they stayed true to, you know, the actual story and everything, but I think that, you know, obviously all of the fans of the first Ghostbusters were so upset with the second one, it seems like they didn't consider what they wanted at all, which was fine with me because I was part of the different audience mm-hmm. that was this that this new movie was for, right? Mm-hmm. It was for, like, young girls who deserve to have 
a Ghostbusters movie for them. Mm-hmm. It's a great story. Why don't we let young girls have it now since young boys have had it since 1984? Mm-hmm. But I, I think, think the role... Mm-hmm. Boys, all the movies that were made for them growing up that they could see themselves be in. And not us. It's really horrible. Well, now we have Ghostbusters. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And now we have the children, the child Ghostbusters, too. <laughs> Also, with the girl protagonist, though, which is interesting to me, mm. a little girl is the star of that movie. Fans totally fine with that, but mm. once they become adults, the oh, women. once they become women, <laughs> that was just a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Not okay. Not also, this girl, a relative of Harold Ramis in the world of the movie, so that's fine too. <laughs> yeah, Harold Ramis is pretty great. So just talking about like the reboots and, you know, remakes and all of that, um, why do you think, I mean, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but just like in more specific terms, like why do you think that this movie was remade for a different generation? I personally think it is because, you know, the movie creators were like, this is a story that is so good and so iconic and it deserves to be a story for everyone, not just for young boys who like think pee jokes are funny. Um, it deserves to have a new audience and a much broader audience. And I think that that's why they made it. And I think that's what the mo- the biggest like generational difference is between the two movies is anybody can watch the 2016 Ghostbusters and find something in it for themselves, whereas that doesn't really happen in the 84 one. And I think that's kind of a trend of those older mm-hmm. kids' movies is that they're really made for little boys. Absolutely. Well, they would say that girls are not funny. I mean, Jerry Lewis was always saying that females are not funny, that we're not funny, and we don't want to go to see funny things. That's sad. It's not true. Not true. Yeah. You know, making remakes or making stories that are based on beloved material is really trying. I made a movie called Scarlet Letter. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can't believe I'm admitting it. Roland Jaffe was a director, quite lovely director. Um, and uh, Demi Moore was the lead, and um, you know she wanted to rewrite the ending. And I kept saying, I don't think Nathaniel Hawthorne would agree with your ending. You know, it was a real, it was a real wrestle, trying to get, yeah, how do you respect the underlying material and make it valuable today? I'm sure that Columbia was like, you know what, Ghostbusters, we've got to do a remake because it made so much money. How do we do it? We'll do it with women. What about the women from SNL? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah. All those people we got. Well, at that time, Melissa McCarthy was maybe the biggest star. Right. In the, uh, in the period. Cast, yeah. Yeah. Well, Kristen Wiig was big too, right? Bridesmaids had come out. She, she worked with, with Paul. Paul Feig before, yeah. yeah. So do you think either of these movies are classics? What? Oh, shit. I think the first one... I don't know, the second one is too hated, right? To be a classic. See, I wrestle with that too because I'm like, okay, yes, Ghostbusters is a classic. The first one is. Because it was that such a time, new story. And those people. Right, exactly. Definitely a classic. The second one I wouldn't say is, but then I'm like, why not? <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, who? the first one was written by who? Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and somebody else. Didn't they write it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they really knew their voices also. Right. And that's maybe why I thought they all kind of melded more as mm-hmm. a group. Um, who was it? What's her name? Annie Dippold? Was that her name? Uh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. all five wrote this uh-huh. one. Yeah. And I know that she works with Kristen Wiig Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did Bridesmaids together and yes. Barb and Star. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's a funny writer. Yeah. I don't know. I guess my disagreement with you is that I didn't think that they, the four characters didn't gel mm-hmm. together. I thought that they were great and that they all had individuality that worked really well together and like yeah some of them were crazier than others but like that led to more jokes and like more comedic tension mm-hmm. between the characters like especially when you put character uh when you put Kristen Wiig and Kate McKinnon in a scene together and it's just like so awkward mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can feel the tension because Kristen Wiig like doesn't really know how to act around her because Kate yeah. McKinnon is like so crazy right, right, and then right. you put Melissa McCarthy in who's kind of the middle between them and then it like mellows out and I I really enjoyed seeing them all together Mm -hmm. and I thought that they also were playing 
not versions of themselves, but things that they were comfortable with, which mm-hmm. I also felt like was happening in the one in 1984, which mm-hmm. was nice to see. So I guess the 2016 one is not a classic, but it is to me. In my heart, it okay. absolutely is. I, I will accept that. <laughs> I will. But I'm glad I saw it because um, it is the first time I've seen it. Seen it. I mm-hmm. really watch it. And it's good, no doubt. It must be. Um, it must have been super disappointing for um, Amy Pascal, right? Because she took on a huge challenge, you know, a huge yeah. IP, put it together really well, wonderful director, all the pieces came together. And know? it sucks because I'm sure that they knew they were going to be under a microscope, right? Like, none of them are idiots. They were like, this has to be good, or, you know, we're, we're going to get ripped apart. And so then they did make a movie that was really good, and that still wasn't good enough. They didn't even have to release the movie. They just had to release... The trailer and people were going on IMDb and giving it a bad review before the movie had even come out so that they could sink the rating of the movie. Like, that's crazy. That is just sexism. Like, if you haven't seen a movie before and you're giving it a bad rating, like, I don't know. So I think that they were all really upset and really disappointed because they had created something that was so good, but, like, nobody really got to appreciate it because it was just weighed down in nonsense and backlash and you know threatening leslie jones for being a black woman who dared to be in a movie so weird crazy i'm trying to think like they there was again when i was in the fix in in the studio system we were really uh, always trying to find roles that were good for man why not do it with a woman i'm trying mm-hmm. to remember some of those movies that were made like we would look at all those jim carrey movies that he didn't get a chance to make and see if we could Make it with a female lead singer. We'll look at a couple of those and can't remember who else. Um, boy, we've come a long way, I guess. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Movies That Made Her But Not Me. Thank you also to Antonio Ortiz for composing our theme and all other music on this podcast. And lastly, thank you to you, listeners. We've started a podcast email for listeners to email us and provide feedback, comments, questions, and anything else you want us to know. Email us at moviesmadeher at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us at moviesmadeher on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter to stay up to date on episode releases, the movies we'll be covering, and all things podcast-related.